Welcome to Iowa to Health. I'm Jeremy Quinby. How are you, my friends? Hope you're figuring out ways to stay healthy and connected through these times. I've got a really amazing chat today with Eric Dalton, one of the most brilliant manual therapists and teachers in the U.S., and someone who had a huge impact on me and my career. That conversation will be up in just a minute. This is episode 83 of the podcast. If you're a new listener, I want to welcome you to the show. Highway to Health is a place for you to explore and create your own blueprint for health. Having worked in integrative health for nearly 25 years, I'm acutely aware of how all aspects of our lives come to have an effect on our overall state of being. And it's my hope that through the content and conversations you get here, you'll become more engaged and empowered personally and in your communities. I want to give a big thank you to all of the guests of the show, as well as the new and longtime supporters of the podcast as we near the end of our sixth season. Your, your support has been crucial to the growth of this community, and I'm extremely grateful. And if you're a new listener or in a health field and would like to become more involved in what we're building here, you can support the show for as little as $1 a month by going to patreon.com forward slash highway to health or by clicking the support link in the show notes on the app that you're listening to right now. I'm so excited to share this conversation with you all today. It was a, a kind of a full circle moment for me to talk shop with one of the greats in the field of bodywork, Eric Dalton, someone who certainly has had an influence on my career. For anyone not familiar with the term bodyworker, it's someone who does manual therapy, massage therapy, physical therapy, or simply touches people with their hands for a living. You know, witnessing someone with such an intellectual approach, but also so soulful and curious and down to earth was a big spark at the beginning of my career. And I'd forgotten about the different video series that Eric had created until a colleague of mine recently posted a, a video, a newer video of Eric from YouTube. And I immediately reached out and thankfully he was game for recording together. And man, what a treat it was to talk shop with one of the masters. We start out here talking a bit about our other shared background as musicians. Please enjoy my conversation with Eric Dalton. How you doing, Jeremy? I'm doing all right. How you doing? You still doing technical stuff over there, Mr. Bass Player? Uh, I'm I'm good. So so fun, fun to find out that we we both started out as musicians and ended up in bodywork fields. <laughs> man, we need to get you over to Costa Rica. We got a little band over there. We've been looking for a bass player forever. Man. Is that right? Yeah. Where in Go Costa Where in Costa Rica? Uh, we have a house that's in the Pacific Mountains. It's about an hour from um, San Jose. Okay. And yeah, it's called a Pruscal. And um, my neighbors are a couple from Washington, D.C., and uh, she's a singer and he's a guitar player. And they just retired over there. She's 50 and he's 62, I think. Okay. So we, we got gigs. We got all kinds of places. We play at the beach all the time. It's a blast. But we well, well, let's, got a bass player, man. Let, let's plan on it at some point. I've, I have my, my former business partners when I had a... a, a a space in, in Brooklyn that I worked out of with, uh, we, we kind of started a holistic movement and bodywork studio and they had a, their family had a place down in Costa Rica. So I, I spent a few years down there uh, back, back and forth. I loved it more, more in the North, but yeah, you flew into the Liberia airport. Liberia, yeah. yeah. That's the cool. I've never actually, I've been to Liberia airport, but I've never been to that side of Costa Rica, but that's the tourist area. That's the 
most beautiful probably area of Costa Rica. Well, it, was, it wasn't very developed when I first started going down there, like 2005, 2006. And then, you know, just you saw the real estate oh, yeah. signs just going up everywhere. Yeah, we bought our property in nine, let's see, uh, uh, right at the recession. Two, we bought it in 2007 and built in 2009. Okay. And so it was right during the, everybody's out of work and they, all the hotels couldn't get, you know, uh, uh, couldn't get money from to, for loans or anything. So the uh, uh, we got all we built our house for like a third of the price it would have cost. Oh, is that right? And when we finished the day, literally the week after we finished the the uh, uh, cologne was it, it was the highest in in history against the dollar. The dollar was the highest in history against cologne. So the week after we stopped building it, uh, it all went back up. Uh. So we were it was like a god thing then. Cool. So, so how yeah. how busy are you working these days? Are you are you still treating people? Are you how much are oh, you yeah. teaching? Yeah, man. And with COVID a, I, and everything. Uh, no, I uh, I'll always have clients. I think that's really a, for me. I feel kind of um, um, dishonest going out and teaching when I don't. I'm not in there with clients learning and working on people. You know, yeah, what I mean, yeah, yeah. I got a lot of educator friends who do nothing but teach, and that's fine. You know, that that's a good thing, but. It's really different when you're learning every day from all your clients and everything. So yeah, just 41 years as a full-time practitioner. So, well, I, I I got reacquainted with you just because a colleague posted something of 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 you a video from you something you did maybe in the last five years, um, and uh, I, it reminded me of I had a, a, a body worker friend when I was in Brooklyn who sat me down one day in his apartment. We were you know doing it working on each other. And I think it was that video where you're working in front of the fireplace. Yeah, a lot of those, yeah, right? The fireplace video, they came, became the known as, yeah. So this would have been like right around 2000 or so, you know? So I think right. you had maybe just started doing some, some videos and um, right. it, it just fit right into the kind of work that I was doing. I, I had started out kind of doing more you know, strictly massage work, trigger point work, myofascial work, but pretty quickly got into doing craniosacral therapy Right. And um, because I kind of came into this with, you know, I, I you know, later found out I have serious ligament laxity and was having muscle spasms in my back, you know, part of being on my feet playing bass and loading gear and all, you, all of the stuff you know. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so that was, you know, that was kind of my in, but it, it was, uh, you know, it was, it was a very frustrating period. And I actually, I was an English major, <laughs> BA in English. I was planning on being an English teacher, but the... The music sort of took my attention for about five years after after college, and then I ended up just enrolling in massage school just to just to learn stuff because I, I wasn't having any success with you know chiropractic or muscle relaxants or whatever. Yeah. They, you know, they just looked at me and said, "Oh, you're a young guy; you'll be fine." You know. Yeah, that's the best way to get into it when somebody touches you and changes your life. You know. Yeah. Uh, that's that's the way it used to be. It's not quite the same anymore with the Votech schools and everything. You know, they go, "What would you rather be?" Uh, auto mechanic or, uh, you know. Right, right. Or massage therapist. Uh, I hear those massage therapists make money. I think I'll do it for that reason. Yeah. Well, and I, I was, you know, I was working so many odd jobs at the time, just trying to keep helping my mom start a business and working at coffee shops and restaurants. And you know, you know this, the story. When, cool. when, was when, this in Brooklyn? This was in Minneapolis. Was I, in I Minneapolis? started out, yeah, in, in Minneapolis, moved out to New York for 13 years and then have, have come, you know, come back with my family. And uh, my, my wife actually got a job offer here. So that's how we ended up back here. But 
I, uh, I've still been going back, you know, it's, it's hard to, to, to let go of these relationships. I have people that I treated in New York for over 20 years. So, oh, yeah. you know, and because I got into working with newborns doing craniosacral work, I never, you know, never thought in a million years I'd be working with, with newborns. So I ended up working with, you know, multi-generations of families because of that. So when I go back, it's kind of like, you know, I, I get to see all these people. I get invited to all sorts of events and oh, you, yeah. know, you get, get hugs from 30, 35 people in a few days. <laughs> all the, the family. Yeah. Yeah. Well, up Ledger and Ida Roth both were crazy about working on infants, you know, and babies, newly yeah. born babies, particularly, yeah. you know, malleable skulls. They just, they love that, you know, yeah. and actually the old GPs of uh, our day, you know, that's what they did. You know, they'd pull a pointed head baby out and sit there and just hold it and do their I own know. thing. You know, the gen- general practitioners before any of this shit was even, you know, before you AT still or anybody's talking about it or Sutherland or anybody. Yeah, and didn't didn't you go to uh, do some studying at at, at uh, Michigan Michigan State? State? Yeah, I went, I went nine years there. They they had postgraduate workshops, and in '92 I got accepted to go there, even though he's supposed to be a physical therapist or osteopath. Yeah, uh, I was in physical therapy school, but I but and that's how I got in. But I soon dropped out, and they just kept letting me come. Yeah, I got to work with. I matter of fact, uh, uh, John Upledger came up there and taught a weekend. You know because he left, I think, in about 86 or 7 and moved down to Florida. But he came up and taught with Philip Greenman, who was head of the department. Right, and, right. Uh, they, yeah, they had like a 18 postgraduate workshops and all sorts of stuff, you know, movement and cranial and uh, um, high-velocity thrust and muscle energy and all those stuff. And I, just, energy, I, yeah. I just kept taking them over and over and over because I, I didn't know any of that stuff. Right. Joint neurology. He had no idea. It was all new to me. You know, I was kind of taking the, the same thing, kind of background as you did. So, you know, it was all like new and fucking fantastically yeah. exciting. Yeah, yeah. God, was, I could hardly wait to get there. And it was expensive. So we, they had these three or four day, some, sometimes a five day workshop in East Lansing. And then in the in the summer, the only uh, in the winter, the only way they could keep Philip Greenman's chair is to move. He like play golf, and he had a house in Tucson, so we had <laughs> all of our MSU workshops yeah. out in Tucson. Yeah, we come in at six and work till about eleven, then they go play golf, and we come back at like four. It's great. So, so you. So, so take me back to the beginning. You, you were you you played with the Flying Burrito Brothers, is that right? Yeah, they were. That's not my first group, but yeah, that's actually the, my second group, I think. Second group. What, who, what was the yeah. first group? I took. Uh, it was a band called. We we were just a college band out of University of Oklahoma called the Disciples, but we got really popular because we knew how to play college yeah. music, yep. and so we we got actually got a record contract uh, with Motown with the first white guys of Motown coming out from Oklahoma, real preppy. You know, we're still wearing <laughs> our sport coats, and then we got out there and we. Did, we first group we ever ran into is Buffalo Springfield. They had all the friends, John Young, Neil Young, and yep. all his friends. And we were like, <laughs> we looked so, nobody would even look at us. No girl would ever, would even, would even look at us. We looked so <laughs> fucked up, you know. Were you, were, were you, this is, is this like late 60s then? That, well, I've been out there in 67, yeah. Okay. And we put, we put out three albums with that band. It's called Southwind. Okay. And uh, we had uh, three decent albums, one on the black label and then two with, uh, uh, Warner Brothers, and so it was good. I pl- ended up. I thought I'd only be out there a couple of years because I was going to grad school out there anyway. But I ended up there with for 17 years uh, playing music and 
touring the world. Yeah, I did the Brito Brothers. I took the original drummer's place in the Brito Brothers. We did two European tours. We had a live in Amsterdam double album released. And it was a blast. Was and a great... for anybody who doesn't know, the, the Flying Brito Brothers, that came from who, somebody from the Birds, right? Yeah, and I'm then, not really sure. And then I think a couple of a couple of people, and then uh, ended up someone wasn't a guitarist or somebody from Brito Brothers started the Eagles. Yeah, Bernie Ledden. Bernie, uh-huh. Bernie Ledden, yeah, yeah. Bernie Ledden, yeah, great guy. So yeah, I mean, I'm, I, they're on my map, of course, as a, as a musician. It's hard not to know. And the, and the Flying Brito Brothers had this kind of uh, it's like Southern Grateful Dead, the band yeah. kind of big star kind of sound, right? Kind of psychedelic right. country they, or something? Or? They were the, yeah, they were the first real country rock band. Uh, the Birds kind of got into it a little bit, and then uh, the members of the Birds moved over to the Brito Brothers, and then a couple of them moved to the Eagles. But it all was that little clique of Linda Ronstadt and Jackson yeah. Brown, that whole deal that uh, was going on there at the time, and the, the Brito Brothers were part of that. They just never were, like, they were so kind of uh, away from what was going on then with the uh, uh, country Merle Haggard kind of right. <laughs> sounding yeah. material that uh, they weren't nas- internationally popular, more popular in Europe than in Europe. It was yeah. a blast. And and so you, you were studying, was was your field of study psychology right at the time? you were Yeah, yeah. started out in psychology and I found out I wasn't very good at that. Yeah. <laughs> Needed to get out of that quick. You gave me a, oh, it's a long story. I won't get into that, but... Uh, no, I was not good at sitting and listening to people whine and try to figure out why, yeah. why they were. Yeah. I'd rather touch them. Once you touch them, everything, all the magic happens once you touch them, you know? Well, that, that's, that's the interesting thing. And, I, and I was, it was something that grabbed me about what the, the videos I was watching was you talking about how you start a, a client session. And okay. it's something very, it's, it's, you know, it's the one thing that I think we, because we're not in psych and, and we, we're just really creating this space for people. We, we, we become, you know, very attuned listeners, you know, both with our hands and with our, you know, with, with, our, with our hearts and stuff. And I think that's one of the things that I picked up that you were talking about is the things that we're not supposed to do, like gossip with them and-, and Transference. Transference, you know. That I, Transference, right. It's, no, it, you know, it's, go ahead. Did, did, did that kind of that idea come from your your psych studies though? Is that kind of where that that understanding came uh, yeah, from? Yeah, and you know the, the the bottom line is some people like to be one on one with the room in a room with somebody, and some people don't. Yeah, I had a great Rolfer friend here, and uh, uh, PhD in engineering, but he just couldn't stand to be in a, a really be in a room one on one. He wasn't that kind of guy, you know. Yeah. And so his practice failed. You got to love what you do. You got to love. Right. Uh, touching bodies and getting into it. But no, what I get, the point that you're trying to make there that I uh, wrote about is that, uh, making that connection right away. When you come in, we gossip, how you doing? You know, all the new pain science, that's what they're saying. They're saying, right. you know, bond, you let, love them. Don't love them, but love them. You know, right, so right. Uh, you, uh, you know, you, you, you make friends for, like you were saying, with your family, you work on families and you get together and everybody knows you've worked on all the kids, all yeah. the generations. And that's what's fun. I mean, those are the people the you part. can't leave. You right. know, and people go, oh, you know, I'm, you know, I only do 10 sessions on them and then don't do any more. That's, to me, is total nonsense. Right. You know, I work them in sometimes maybe as they get better, if they do their home retraining, I move it out until a couple of months. Right now, I only do, uh, uh, I only see a maximum of once a month because I try to get new people in when I get 
the cancellations and right. stuff like that. When I get my book in October, I'm booked for the complete next year. So I'm doing uh, about, right now I'm down to about, uh, from 36 people to um, probably 16 or 18. <laughs> get that's, lazy. That, that, that's good though. That's that's a good amount. I, I was pushing 30, 35 sessions a week for, you know, good 12, 13 years or something. And then you know, that was sort of the middle part of my career. I was also, I, I got into doing, uh, I was a, you know, physical trainer as well. So I was doing more kind of uh, post rehab functional movement work with people. So I would work with them both on, on the table and, and then teaching too. And, and I trained trainers and I trained therapists and all that stuff because I had a business. Great background for it. Yeah. But, that's, you know, I, I, never, there. I never thought it was going to end up, you know, being all of that. I was just responding to community need, you know, People come in, need this stuff. They're not having any success in physical therapy. And then eventually I started kind of, you know, making more network connections and finding people. But that was leading more business back to me. I just couldn't get, couldn't get out of it. I'd have to really schedule those weeks off. Otherwise, I would never get a break. That's right. So now I've, I'm, I'm a little bit I'm, I'm a little bit. And the, the bad part about it is you and I coming from a, a, a music background, you're used to playing weekends. And so, you, yeah. you know, in my mind, the weekend is just another day. So yeah. I started taking people on weekends, you know, and there was one old lady that I loved her to death, 92 years old, Granny Loomer. And she finally, their kids said she couldn't come one day a week. She'd like to go to church in the morning. So I started taking her on Sunday. Well, then, you know, I said, well, hell, now I'm all dressed and everything. I might as well just book a cake, bring a couple more clients in. And then it got all day Saturday, all day Sunday, all day Friday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, 14, uh, almost 14 years, of seven days a week. Yeah. And, and if, you're <laughs> used, if you're used to a touring schedule or, you know, just the... the Right. As as a musician, I basically have to get up the next morning and go work someplace too. So I'd be loading gear out of a place at two o'clock in the morning and getting up and go to work at seven thirty. So you just get used to that sort of thing. But you know, it's not you can't do that forever. And I, I feel like I've I've found my balance a little bit more. And and even within the the different things that I get to do, you know, I did tons of really sort of heavy manual therapy for a long time, and it's nice that I have a, a balance of doing you know stuff that's a little bit more, you know, high force stuff. I do craniosacral work. I work with babies. Just gives me some variety. So actually, I, I never really feel like I get bored in my in my work either, which is yeah. very important. And, you know, you can burn out till you do a, a couple of deep sessions. And it's hard to come in and do a cranial session because your, your mechanical receptors in your hands have been so totally. stimulated and everything that you got to try to desensitize. It's really, yeah. a, there's always a problem to me if I ever put a couple of, of heavy sessions together and then try to do a total one session cranial. Yeah, yeah. Tough. Yeah, now, now I'm doing much more cranial. And I, I knew that that was kind of going to be with the way my career would go. I've also just done more of the work at this point. So when I, when people get led to me, that's the kind of work that I get. I, I do a lot of coordinating with therapists, uh, you know, talk therapists and uh, people who've sort of worked with you know, very specific trauma or, 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 you know, family issues. I work with kids too, you know, kids who have sort of had um, ADD, ADHD, you know, spectrum. They, they really respond well to the work. So I, I just love it. And, and you know, the, the amazing thing is when you have somebody like a kid come in, they don't know who you are. They have, you know, they're, they're, just, right. a, they're just a fast read though. You know, they, they know right away whether you're going to, you know, be present for them or not. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Only thing, only thing that I had trouble with is was uh, uh, autism. Yeah, me too. You ever tried that? Because yeah. that, because you know the mother's always there and she's always like, 
you know, just wanting anything you can help anybody to help, you know, so that she's there eager sitting right there and the child is painting black, has crayons and just doing all black if they like to write primarily and do it primarily in black but are on the floor so you're trying to work on them on the floor chasing around and they're crying you know and you feel i went out of those sessions just feeling terrible it's it's hard i worked in mental health you know closely with mental health for a while too and so working with people who are bipolar or schizophrenic i found really really hard i mean you know i think most of us have this sort of internal mechanism where as we start to kind of let down we can we can go deeper into that but they'll hit a certain point and just pop right up, you know, like, or their energy will just come right yeah. back up. They're not, they're, yeah. they're not going there. And you know, that's, that's, that's part of the illness. And it's one of those things that it, I, I couldn't, I, I wanted to of course figure out how to fix this thing, but there are some things that you, that's not for me necessarily either. Particularly if they've been on drugs too, because those are, uh, you know, psychotic uh, drug, drugs can be pretty, uh, dull them out pretty much kind of hard to change the brain map when, uh, you know, in just a couple hours a week or something like that, you know? Yeah. So, so when did you first start, um, start teaching? When did, when did a transition between, uh, between the doing, just doing the hands-on work and, and starting to teach it? Yeah. Well, uh, 1990, uh, let's see, was it 1994, 1994? Yeah. 1994, we did our first workshop in my garage and, uh, at 11 people and we were thrilled. Uh, Kim Miller, my, Gal's been with me forever. My education director was one of my assistants. And well, that was a big deal for us. We were so happy that anybody would show up. And so that was called Dalton attachment technique. Okay. And then when I started, as I kept, by that time, I'd, I'd been going to, to osteopathic school for a while and integrating all this stuff, but I was forgetting it. I, th- I thought, I got to teach this or I'm just going to keep forgetting it. Yeah. You know, I just, it got boring. I kept going to the same classes over and over and I felt so stupid, you know. And I go, well, if I, maybe if I teach it. And so that was an experiment. And then started writing the book and, and the DVDs, uh, a home study course, uh, what's called now called Posture Pain Performance. It was originally called Myoskeletal Alignment Techniques, came out in 1998. That's, that's, yeah. And yeah. That's probably what really, I got tuned into. Yep. Yeah. We were the first nationally approved uh, home study uh, course. In the, uh, in the United States, three DVDs and the book. And that course just went crazy. And so, you know, we started going out on the road, hitting the road. And uh, that was, I quit in 2012 being big, a, a road a road guy, you know. So I teach one time a year in Oklahoma City. We have a big event this okay. year. I mean, it was supposed to be this year. Next year, we moved it to next year. July 4th weekend, Whitney Lowe is... Uh, my guest presenter, every year I bring a guest presenter to come on and do an afternoon on Saturdays. And then we have a bunch of just guest friends, educators. So Drew Friedman, Sue Hitzman from The Melt Method, James Waslowski, oh, yeah. Drew, you know, all of these guys. Uh, I know just Sue. Invite them in. <laughs> huh? I know Sue from New York. You know Sue. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. Oh, she's a character, huh? Yeah. She's fun to be around. Yeah. That's, that's, so anyway, that we teach in Costa Rica. This will be our 21st year, 21st anniversary of teaching what we call our pain management in paradise in the mountains overlooking San Jose. So it's they pick you up at the airport, take you to this resort. Everything's taken care of. Yeah. 13 acres, you're like confided, you know, confined together, and you really learn a lot. So that's a seven-day retreat, and we do that at Thanksgiving. And so that's for anybody just looking to sort of try to get well, learn some, learn some stuff for themselves. It's all about, yeah, you get to do all that stuff because they have excursions, they have free yoga every night, and then they have drum stuff at night. I mean, they really put on a, a deal on the best food in the world oh, at yeah. this place. Unbelievably great. 
And uh, and so no, we teach. We're pretty. It's pretty intense. I teach thirty two. I think thirty two hours. And uh, a lot of the education goes on when I'm not teaching because we have the room open all the time. It's this gorgeous room with all glass looking off into the, 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 the valley of San Jose. And people are there working. When, we're not, when I'm not teaching, I just say, go in there and work with each other, practice these techniques. Yeah. And so sometimes I'll just go in and lay on a table and watch it yeah. and steal stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? You steal stuff. Steal, totally steal stuff. I, and, and so that's just body workers coming down to do, to, to, to learn. Primarily. And, and, Primarily. They're, and they're probably looking, I mean, the thing about, you know, people in, in health services, I feel like, is they also need these retreats to, to restore themselves. I mean, just putting out all the time, I find way too many therapists are not getting enough care for themselves. So Absolutely. Well, that resort happens to be the fabulous place for people to go. They have a, a one day, a one week uh, things set up so for people who just want to come over and get well, do a lot of yoga, do a lot of uh, you know hiking, going into to the uh, the forests and you know volcanoes and all that stuff, and just kicking back a lot of you know meditating and yeah. So anyway, that's a good deal for that 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 for I think like God twelve hundred dollars a week or something. That's pretty Food. good. Yeah, yeah that's good really deal. good. I might have to come down sometime. My, yeah, I've, I've never been there to myself. Tell you the truth, I've never been to that to that week that uh, that I'm talking about. I'm only there when we teach. Okay, and so I actually know very little about Costa Rica. People go, "Oh God, you've had a house in Costa Rica forever." Yeah, I guess you speak Spanish. No, well, do you know where this is? No, I don't know where anything Costa Rica is. Except where my house is? <laughs> I know where my house is, or I know where the resort is. That's all I know. Well, it's a pretty easy trip down there. You, oh yeah, you stay in the same yeah. time zone, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if, if, um, if people are, if people are kind of, I mean, this is one of the things I've been thinking about a, a little bit as far as where you and I intersect and just, I, I haven't been in, in the field as long as you, I'm getting close to 25 years, but I, I, I do a little bit of lecturing right now and just the way that I see body work being done. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about what you see as, as you know, what's, what's changing for the better and, and what you think is being lost, you know, sort of as the, the art of the, the sort of hands-on approach and transference and all the things that you tend to talk about. That is a fantastic question. One to me right now is like on my mind all the time. It has been for the last few years. What, referencing what, what we said a while ago about how you get into the field. Do you get into it because of somebody touched you and changed your life? Right. Like I did. Yeah. You know, had a shoulder problem from playing drums, hitting that two and four in the studio. I couldn't get rid of this rib thing. I was working teaching nutrition at the Health Institute of San Diego, and this woman in the thing was saying, you need to go get rough by this guy in Del Mar. I went over there, and three sessions later, this thing that I had had worked on in L.A. by everybody yeah. was gone. And so at that point, you know, I said, well, I want to do this. You know, this, use your hands too. You know, I know. It's much better. Yeah. You know, the whole, whole, the magic happens. So, yeah. So back to that is, uh, um, yeah, it's just um, touch therapy and, and uh, um, communicating with your clients and, uh, and just being a good listener. I think in my sessions, that's what, what, what makes uh Things really work for me. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I was having a conversation with a doctor friend of mine this past weekend, and he was saying to me, sometimes he, he works in a in a rural hospital in, in Northern California, 
And he was saying, you know, area that really has, has suffered economically, a lot of opioid issues. He, he manages the outpatient opioid program there and stuff. And he was just saying that he, he recognizes that sometimes he's not doing all that much and they, and they, they feel so much better and they talk about him, you know, like he's, like he's this amazing doctor. He's, and mostly what he's providing is listening. You know, I mean, I, exactly. And, and that's, that's the one thing I feel like I, as I'm teaching, you know, or as I'm lecturing and getting feedback from, from students and I, and I really like doing that. I don't think I want to ever teach a, a full, you know, year after year kind of course. That's, I don't think that's my, my thing, but I really love, you know, listening to the students and sort of getting what they're, where they're at and what they're getting from the education. And the one thing I feel like is happening is we're trying to bring massage into the, into a medical model. You know, I think this is, this is what has yep. changed since the beginning of our careers for sure. And, right. and, and we were probably, you know, to some extent responsible for this <laughs> because we, we needed to have the, the, the information, you know, we, we, I, I think there's something about being a musician where you have this kind of engineering mind. You ha- you, you kind of want to figure out how everything works together. And there's also another part of it that's almost, uh, um, you know the, the mystery, the, the the spiritual part of it that you can't completely define. That that is always going to be part of our work. So you know, I, the one thing I see though is that they get so technical. When I when I've had some of these students work on me, you know, they'll spend you know twenty minutes in one spot in my back, and you know, exactly. there's there's a time and place for that. But they're also not addressing me as a whole person. Right. You know, both the psychosocial part of it and the the, phys- right. the physiological. Yeah. Yeah, and plus that, I just don't think people, and this is not, I'm not trying to, to, to put anybody down or anything, but but I, when I was going through the Rolf Institute, one of the great things about the Rolf Institute and Ida Rolf is that you really learned how to use your body. You, you learned how to use your hands. Yeah. Everything, they were just really, really strict about all that stuff. And it was the best. There was no better place uh, a lot better than the osteopaths. So, you know, osteopaths do their little, you know, 10, 15 minute adjustments, whatever, which I love. But when you've got an hour with somebody with your hands on them, you know, all the time, like like we have, you know, that's just a big, huge advantage. But I see a lot of people today uh, coming out of schools, like you say, technical. And there's two, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff going on right now that's all about theory and you know yeah. a little maybe a little sometimes gets into a little bit uh, too much about pain science sometimes yeah. which i absolutely love and the big argument between the fascia people and the pain science people which is absolutely ludicrous you know that there's so much crossover i don't know how you can separate there's them. so much crossover yeah it's, it's 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 silly but people get silly when they get adamant about something they get really excited about oh my god are these melzac and wall melzac's come out with Neuromatrix theory and oh my god it changes everything you know it's all that <laughs> which I, I like anyway because I'm my background psychology and yeah. so it's uh, I, I mean I love that anyway but I think that's so important the minute somebody walks in your office they're looking for cues and on every level they're picking up everything yeah. and that's their first introduction to how how well I'm going to do in therapy yeah you know, that says, okay, this is how well, or they see the person coming out that you've just treated, and they're like, hey, okay, hang out, we'll see you later, you know, enjoyed it, thanks a lot, that was really great. They're going, I'm, I feel better already. It's true, <laughs> Yeah, it's true. touch me that I feel better already. It's true. I mean, I, I when I used to teach, um, you know, kind of work on the on the presentation part with, with therapists, you know, therapists who I've already interviewed, they have good hands, they have good techniques. <clears throat> they, they can, you know, they, they can do good work, but 
it's the it's the meeting of them at you know at the front door and and I I would always say you know your session starts before they walk in the door you know whether it's through the email or or even just thinking about you know you you've gotten a little bit of information about them they they're, they're going to feel that as soon as they walk in the door that that you're prepped for this and you're you're ready to to help them that's yeah. a good point because you know we we did so much by telephone and now we do so much by text and and email but back in the telephone days you know you could do kind of an initial initial history on someone on the telephone oh, yeah. and you could also tell some people who probably should be referred to someone that would fits their whatever yeah. problem I, I still do that actually sometimes what yeah I, I, I'll, I'll have a phone quick you know 10 minute I'll set up a 10 minute phone call just to oh, make I know. Sure, just to great. make sure I, and now, that, it it help it helps you know set set up the session if I'm going to work with them or sometimes they, you know they're they're looking for you know someone to fix all their problems. <laughs> of course, yeah, they're going forever. Right person, you know. Right, right. Oh, there's something I was going to say about that. Uh, well, no, we'll, yeah, well, we'll come back. Yeah, well, so, but one one of the things I took from from you from your from a video a long time ago that I stole was you you said uh, bodies like jostling. <laughs> Jostling, yeah. jostling, and and there's and I, I think there's a there's a part of working with people where, like once you once you get them on the table, you kind of got to you kind of got to shake things out a little bit. You got to you got to kind of exactly you know just get, just get them to kind of have you even the awareness of of their whole body. I mean, we we live pretty much from here up most of the time. Most people, you know, and even more so now we're doing these Zoom calls and sitting in front of our you know our own faces on a screen. I think I think we need to just kind of ha- have a place where we start to feel what it feels like the weight of our bodies, our our own presence, and the jostling, and and sometimes even that you talk about even just the just the sustained pressure, you know, just like oh yeah, I used a lot of that. It's mm-hmm. like a gra- they have very grounding type of technique because you're feeling for the barrier, the restriction barrier. You know, I don't do a lot of superficial stuff. I like to just go into the tissue slowly, engage the tissue confidently, no jiggling hand syndrome until something stops me. And that yeah. stops me. That, you got to do something there. You go into the, the direct barrier or the indirect barrier or ask them for movement or do whatever, you know. But uh, that's, you know, that's, that's typically what I do. Well, that's, so, so that's interesting because... Let that, me just say something. Yeah, Let go me ahead. just say something. Because it reminded me you were saying something about the, about, uh, the jostling. This is, you'll love this. Okay, beyond the dura. Oh, yeah. Ever go, goes beyond the dura oh, and, yeah. and superior. Uh, up Ledger's fabulous, well, it was costume party that year. Halloween party it was fabulous. Or I don't think it was Halloween. Anyway, uh, <laughs> uh, they were all dressed up, and it was the best convention I'd ever been to in my life. I, okay, so I got to be a demo. I just volunteered to be a demo for John Upledger doing this thing. And he did this undulation. It started with just, you know, feeling around doing this whole thing. And then he's showing you how he's going to feel what's, is there anything fixated going down the sacrum? Yeah. I'm going to undulate this, this jostling. I'm going to move this nervous system around mm-hmm. and see where the nervous system doesn't want to go. Where does it want to stop? T4, T5s or something between the shoulder blades? Yeah. Fine. That's where the restriction will be. But he would go, he went down and my sacrum was wiggling like this. It wasn't in the beginning, but at the end of that thing, he, he got it wiggling. He, Very light encouragement. I mean, and that, that's, the, that's the thing. I've, I, someone told me in one of the early courses that I took through Upledger, that, you know, this, this is one of those things where we're trying to figure out where the barrier or the restriction is in, in the system. And, you know, he would say, you know, he would push a little energy and kind of, you know, get a little movement happening with his hands. And then he said, sometimes he would just have an image that popped into his head that would kind of help him to think like, it's about at T2. 
you know, and he said sometimes uh-huh. it would be like if, if this might be a, an old reference, but Mr. Peanut, he had, he had that little cane and he would say, he would tap it. <laughs> <laughs> that was up Ledger's technique. He said, I would just wait till Mr. Mr. Peanut told me where that restriction was. <laughs> that's funny. I've never heard that. I love that one. I'm going to use that. Now that's true. Cause you know, you got your, un, your unconscious mind, your limbic systems recording all this stuff. And it really knows what, everything that's, that's going on. It's recorded everything. Your prefrontal cortex, which sometimes is a spoiled child. And that's the whole thing. When you get to that point and you start listening to those little yeah, you know, nutshell things. Then they start coming more because they, that channel opens up, allowing the limbic system to produce more information, give more information to the prefrontal cortex. And the prefrontal cortex starts to come out with this intuitive thing. If you go for it, yeah. If you don't, it just shuts it off. It's like everything in life. Opportunities are coming to you all the time. You just got to be aware, present tense. Grab one, they go come by. You know, yeah. That's life. Yeah, <laughs> that's life. Uh, and, and I have this, uh, there's, a, there's a teacher that I've, I've worked with a couple times that I know John, you know, he, he worked with John very closely for a long time. His name is Stan Jerome. I don't know if you know, know of him. No. He's a massage mm-hmm. therapist, but he's gotten much more into the, into the dialoguing work. Um, and so, you know, it's, it's really a way of trying to get the information that the person on the table is sort of, you know, also working with consciously or unconsciously. So, I've, I've just found a lot of times that it confirms so much of what I end up feeling with my hand. So I don't have to totally rely on Mr. Peanut to tell me <laughs> where that stuff is. Oh yeah. And, and it's, it's become a really, you know, it really is just curiosity. I mean, more than anything else, but when people, when people hand you really, you know, strong, strong language, like I, one of the, one of the, one of the ones that always sticks in my mind is one of my clients said one time that felt like there was a deadbolt in her knee. You know, and then you have to ask the next question, you know, is it, is it locked or unlocked, <laughs> you know, and sometimes you can feel the shift start to happen in the body, you know, and sometimes that takes them into, you know, it can take them into, you know, and what we call in craniosacral work, a somatic emotional response. Sometimes right. they might have a laughing Absolutely. fit because that, that question really, you know, let go of something or they can go any, any direction with it and it can happen both at the same time. It's an age-old question, you know, is memory in all the tissue and there's a whole body, can, in a case of an accident or something like that, can you store that emotional memory in there? Yeah. I had an experience like that. I never, I, they talked about it, of course, in Rolf Institute because they were all closely tied with all of the people that were involved in that. But I never had the experience until one gal came in with a, a, a had had a chronically sprained ankle. I didn't know that I was working on her ankle. She just went into this kind of nutcase thing on the table and it turned out, you know, I got a blanket, covered her up and everything. It turned out that she had been just recently divorced and her husband was an alcoholic. He was chasing her out the, the backyard. She's coming over a chain link fence and gets her ankle caused. So all this emotion from this guy, her husband chasing her out there drunk, her breaking her ankle and me working on her ankle. Yeah. She came undone. And, and she didn't know where she was. When she came out of it, she goes, what happened? Yeah. What happened? I don't have it. She had no recall of what happened. Yeah. That yeah. I mean, well, and that's the thing is we, we know this from working on people that the, that the body is, is, is storing all sorts of information. I mean, because our, our whole system is enervated, it does, it's not all in our brain. We love to think that, you know, our, right. our, our brains right. are the all powerful, almighty. Right. <laughs> right. But I, I think that it's all one kind of continuous brain a little bit at this point. Absolutely. You know, they already they know that the enteric nervous system, we got how more, yeah. much more important it was. You know, it, know. it has 
you know, it has messages going directly to the brain so it can direct the brain. They thought it was a one-way street going from the brain to the, uh, to the gut, but that's not true. You know, it goes uh, both ways now. So that's just one example of how the tissue, but we can feel it. We feel it in the tissue at a local level. And some of it's just spinal cord, uh, peripheral nerve stuff. Yeah. which is, is good, happens at a local level, but you got to consider the spinal cord a part of the brain because it really is just part of the brain. Yeah, yeah. Right? Is it, does it, has, that te- has that changed your teaching over the years, the more you kind of, yeah. your, your, your practice? How do, how, do you, how do you explain this to students? Uh, because because I, you, you get very technical in, in some respects because you want to you set up the structural part of it, but what, 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 is, what is your approach and what's changing now? Uh, changing now, okay, well... Uh, I was always interested in the joint neurology, like I said, because I fractured my neck in a judo fall in 89. I was just horrible. I had no yeah. use of this hand for yeah. a while. Yeah. And so that got me real interested in trying to figure out why this soft tissue work I was doing wasn't getting the spasm out. It just kept coming back. And I started dealing with fig- messing with the joints and stuff like that. But anyway, long story short, that uh, is, um, you know, that got me into... Um, My headphones aren't working anymore. Can you hear me? I can hear you, yeah. Hello? Can you hear me? I can see you. I can hear you. You can hear me? Yep, I can hear you. Okay, I can hear you too. All right. Well, we'll we'll take what we get, I guess. Oh, it's just in one ear that's not working. Okay. Okay. Sorry about that. Maybe maybe you unearthed something with the old uh, with the old jujitsu story. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So that was a bad experience, but uh, but joint neurology, I think, is uh, is really key trying to understand how the nervous system deals with uh, um, with all the tissues of the body, you know, down to the joint level, which is now the pain science people are kind of trying to push that away but i'm a tissue i like the tissue stuff too right? I, I know me too and, and also i mean i'm kind of a fascia guy it's hard you know it's when you start studying osteopathic work it's hard not to kind of be at that level and at the autonomic nervous system level i feel like that's Absolutely. that that's the most powerful you know piece of it for me yeah yeah whole body that's a whole that's everything yeah and i think people don't really understand that you know that the that whole fascial system is is enervated and it's basically, you know, it is our continuity uh, through, throughout the whole body. And, and right. it, it's hard it's hard to even think of, for me, at least at, the, at this point in my career, it's hard for me to, someone comes in saying that their their left hip's been bothering for a long time. I'm, I'm not necessarily looking to the left hip. Right, <laughs> yep, look look where it ain't, as Ida Rolf used to say. Yeah, Robert Schleip has a good interview on in Massage and Bodywork Magazine with Till Luca, this, uh, this brand new uh, edition. And he talks about that, how, uh, you know, the thoracolumbar fascia, you can't dissect even, uh, you know, fresh thoracolumbar fascia without finding contractions that are squashing a lot of those little nerve endings. So, yeah. you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes on in areas like that, that are, we've been blaming it on the tissue itself, but actually it's usually the nerves that are innervating it or something like that. Right, and that gets back to that, that, that nervous system level, you know, where I feel like, you know, I can get somebody on a table using five grams of, you know, force traction a lot of times with craniosacral work and just watch their pelvis sort of settle back to its midline you know, after being in rotation or one of them being one hip bone being exactly. elevated. 
And, and, and I always thought like, if, if it's that easy <laughs> and it's not for everybody, right. but you know, I, I think that I, and there are times for pressure. I mean, I, I, a lot of times I'll, I'll start with, with the craniosacral work with people and sort of gradually work into the, into the tissue more when I can, when I feel like I kind of know exactly where I want to work. Like, you know, like we were talking about earlier, sometimes you just, that barrier never changes and you know, that's going to be, that's going to yeah, be yeah. our project. But, yeah. you, know, you know, it's, it, it's what, what do you use, you know, in, in craniosacral work, we use this, this technique, it's like a fascial read called arcing. What, what, what do you, is it, is it, is it for you, for you? So arcing, just, just so you know, if, if you haven't heard of this term before, no. is mm-hmm. you can, you can sort of be in any place in the body. A lot of times you're sort of doing a little traction. So if I'm holding on to like the, the, the bottoms of the feet, I'm getting a feel for wh- where's that midline getting pulled? You know, this is very this is very subtle work, obviously. But where's that midline getting pulled? If I get mm. drawn up to an area, then I'll move my hands up a little bit more and say, okay, I f- this I can feel there's a, there's a lot of pressure on the outside of this left knee, and then that might take me up a little further, and then that might tell me that oh, there's also some stuff going on in this right lumbar area, and then you mm, can kind of follow like these trains of you know it's probably it's probably just trains of fascia, but that that that's that's where I start a lot of times because that's that gives me a fair amount of information. And then I'll start kind of, you know, working in. Do, do you have a, a is, is, the, is the jostling or just, the, just, you know, putting your hands on, do you have a, a, a reading technique? Uh, I like, I like uh, uh, not, not only body reading, but I like gait analysis. I like to watch them move, yeah, sit, yeah, yeah. stand. That's where I really get a lot of information yeah. from uh, what, what I'm going to do. Try to get them engaged in a conversation and watch them, uh, what they do naturally, what things they are. Or, and, you know, I give my clients three, three or four home retraining exercises every yeah. time, you yeah. know, specific to their problem. And back to the fascia thing, yeah, I work through different trains of fascia, but I really like that idea of coming to the ankles or pulling on the, on the feet, just gently pulling on the feet yeah. and finding which, where the pattern's yeah. going, you know. And then, 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 I'll, and then I'll go up to the occiput and do the same thing, you know, kind of check, check, check exactly. everything out from up there. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, we call it leveling the head and tail. We uh, we try to really get make sure that the sacral base and the OA joint are, are level at every session. I try. You know, that's one goal. People never get out of my session without at least me trying to get a level sacral base because everything kind of the whole nervous system kind of re- relies on on that that sacrum being a nice stable platform for the lumbar spine. Yeah. And then the base of the skull, that's the, it's a midbrain, that's pontomedullary reticular formations. That's all your posture, that's everything right there. The midbrain is the OA joint, the neurological center of the body. I mean, yeah. if, you don't, if you don't understand the upper cervical complex, you need to spend a lot of time understanding it because it is a work of art. It's magnificent the way yeah. the OA joint itself works, you know? It is. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I get, because I've worked between, I mean, it sounds like you've been, you know, being in jujitsu, you're probably doing a lot of this stuff too. I mean, you just, you start to embody the way that that movement should feel. You, you, you kind of get a sense of it. So that was, and, and that was just me trying to solve my own problems mostly, <laughs> but, but, but with the, you know, with, when I'm, when I'm trying to figure out how to stabilize a system or how to, how to balance a system, I can get sometimes a little too carried away with just focusing on the nervous system. And part of it is just because I'm, I'm a nervous system junkie. I kind of, I'm always thinking about, you know, the way all these different things are going to influence one another. Right. But, but there's, there, are, there are points where you have to kind of get down into that lower extremity, think about the, you know, sort of the grounding part of it, the feet and, and, and the legs. And I find a lot of, you know, really a lot, a lot of the back problems kind of come from the lower part of the system. 
the, or that, that lower extremity yeah. or, you know, some of the crossover, you know, the hip flexor muscles, iliacus. Right motor like dominance. I see that in a lot, right, right motor dominance. So as it gets tighter, you get that anteriorly inferiorly looking pelvis, but really it's a pelvis rotating around vertical axis. It looks like it's going like that, but, it, but that right motor dominant pattern, I see that all the time. Right. right anteriorly inferiorly looking uh, thing. I'm the opposite, and the statistics are that if you're the opposite, you have great drummer. It's blow back pain. Yeah, I'm, I'm backwards and everything. You know, I'm a drummer. Uh, yeah, what, what do they call a a, a a drummer without a girlfriend? What's that? Homeless. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Uh, yeah, I know. Um, so, 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 do you have any any theories on on why there's that that dominance that that right pelvic? Oh yeah, yeah, a lot of a lot of theories. You know, the, the left brain now that, that you know it was all about the left brain stuff, and now they're talking about the the PMRF pontomedullary reticular formation, particularly the uh, um, the pons and how it when when it's healthy and with good movement it resist this upper cross posture. It resists slumping when yeah, it's healthy, yeah. when the midbrain, that's the OA joint. And then the vestibular system, cerebellum and all that stuff, promotes extension. So you've got mm. this thing going on. So so a lot of that stuff that I learned with a study, I studied, got to study Vladimir Yonda, the upper lower cross syndrome guy, just for a couple of weekends at Michigan State. And uh, you know, his upper cross syndrome stuff, they did that electromyographically to see what muscles were tight and which were inhibited in that kind of slump forward posture, swayed low back. And he came up with a formula and it turns out that it's not exactly right, hadn't proven to be exactly right because he left out the most important thing and that's that the brain is memorizing, the midbrain is memorizing that pattern. And mm-hmm. it wants, it says, if, I'm, if you're gonna be in that pattern, I'm gonna secure you in that pattern. I will make you as strong as you can. If you gotta sit on your ass all day as a desk-occupied junkie, yeah. then I'm gonna make you as strong as you can in that position of sitting. But it learns that pattern and then you're screwed, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The seven principle, specific uh, uh, adaptations to demands, right? Yeah. And I've, 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 you know, I, I was wondering if it had something to do with like the physical cultural norms, but I, I, in some ways I, I yeah. think, I mean, and I'm sure there are certain things, like if you're in a car culture, you're driving all the time. You right. know, I, I mean, I've noticed some differences working in, you know, between different cities, you know, like people, who, you know, people in Minneapolis tend to have, Different, different social habits, different physical habits. People in New York tend to have, you know, different things. So I'm sure there's. You can go to any culture and find different things too. But, but I, but I think there's. I think you're. You're. I, I like that idea that there's. There is. There is a part of this that's very sort of right. Right brain, left brain, and and maybe that's part of the reason why you have the opposite pattern. I have. I have a strange pattern too. I mean, I have some physical abnormalities. I had. I have a very flat foot on one side, which is odd, and it's been that way since birth. Um, and it's, you know, in some ways it's, it was, it was everyone's focus for such a long time. You know, whenever I was getting care, everyone had to come over and look at this, this odd foot. (laughs) (laughs) That's a bummer. It was a little bit, but you know, I've, it, it wasn't until I started working with this physical therapist who worked with dancers 
who um, it was in New York, oddly enough, she was from Minnesota. So maybe there was just this Midwestern uh, uh-huh. way of, of doing things. She, she almost kind of had a more osteopathic you know, approach to things. She looked at my whole structure and looked at, tested my, you know, how, how my joints moved, figured out I was very ligament lax, which is something uh-huh. I had, I you know, knew nothing about uh-huh. at the time that finally she started looking at this whole pattern throughout my whole system and kind of helped me to figure out I was training my body wrong when I was exercising. <laughs> I was probably had some bad postural habits when I was playing music. I was, I was doing something. She was like you, like she had to do a lot of physical movement, you know, gait analysis. She'd make me move around a lot and just study me until she had me kind of, you know, figured out. And, you know, most of what she taught me, this is probably almost 20 years ago at this point, was, was pretty spot on. And, I, and, 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 you know, it took someone to really look at me, you know, from all my dimensions to figure, figure all that stuff out. That's a hard one, too. Ligamentous laxity is really a, uh, not necessarily a bad, bad thing because at the age of like 55 or is it 65, somewhere around there, 55, I think, ligaments start to thicken. Yeah. Thicken with age, so you become more firm. Yeah. And so you're, you'll be all right. I'll be right. <laughs> but, but the problem is people train around it. So they try to train around the ligament laxity. And you see, like she's probably said, a lot of muscle imbalances. Yeah. Because muscles are trying to compensate and some are turning on and they should be turning off. And it's just this battle. Oh, how do we figure this thing out? Yeah. It's working right on that foot, but it's not working right on this foot. That, that was it too. And, and even, you know, I, I could get very strong in my extremities and I had no ability to stabilize my trunk. You know, that was the kind of thing that they were finding out about me. I, was, I just, uh, you know, and, and you can almost kind of look at my body type and, and just see like what the problems are. I mean, even just my hands are just completely gummy, you know, like you can, I can just smash my whole. Oh, yeah, really? And, and, uh-huh. it's, and, and it prevented me from how I was a, you know, athlete when I was in my younger years. And it prevented me from having any major injuries because <laughs> everything would probably just collapse and I'd just get back up. Um, I'd bang my elbows and knees and whatnot, but I, you know, never had any any joint issues. That you know, you know, still haven't had anything major. So, but I guess I, I guess after fifty five, I have that to look forward to. I just turned fifty. Yeah, so. you'll be all right. Oh, you did. <laughs> oh, hey, you're looking great, man. Thanks. Well, Eric, this is this is so nice. I, I I've been wanting to you know, pr- plug uh, plug your your work and kind of poke away at your brain a little bit. So this was this was uh, really really nice for me. Yeah, it was fun for me too. You're great because you know we talk, uh, speak the same language, yeah. have a lot of the same backgrounds. That's always fun. Took a lot of times in podcasts, you have people that you know haven't, haven't been down the same path. I as you, I, I know. You know? <laughs> Let me just ask you one question sure. before you end up. How did you get into the podcasting thing? Um, I was doing a little work with this uh, doctor friend of mine. I was just mentioning in, in health tech. He was he was kind of working on on uh, some different things. And I was, I was starting to explore ways to coordinate care a little bit because I was working between such strange, you know, mix of things. You know, I was doing orthopedic work and I was working in pediatrics and I was <laughs> working, you know, with mental health people and stuff. And, and after I moved, uh, moved back to Minneapolis about seven and a half years ago after being away for a long time. And so I really had to start my practice up over again. I was only here for about a year and a half before I, in, in my practice before I, before I moved to New York. So I had these, I had these two different places that I was trying to, you know, coordinate a lot of different care. If I was in New York only, you know, once every six weeks or so, I had to find somebody in between a lot of times if I got somebody new. So I started thinking about ways to do that. And, and because I was spending a lot of time emailing and coordinating all this stuff 
didn't end up getting into the health tech stuff because I found out how expensive it was. Yeah. But I but I realized that I could actually use these podcast episodes as referral tools. So I, I just decided to start and, and this all kind of came from just having a lot of conversations with people trying to figure out, you know, ways to get the right referral to a person and you know, make sure that you got got them to somebody as quickly as possible and for you know both parties to kind of, you know, have a good match. And it's so, such a great learning experience. Yeah, I mean, I've never done podcasts myself. I've conducted one, I think. But uh, yeah, you get all these interesting people on, learn all this stuff, but you, and you do yeah. a little homework yourself, so you find out some stuff in your research. I'm learning a ton. You know, I mean, I, idea, I, and and it's also it, it, you know, part of it is always you know a, a little bit about me, obviously. Like I'm trying to trying to figure out you know my next uh, next phase of life trying to learn a little bit more how to how to tune things up a little bit more but you know I also just felt like I've been very fortunate in my in my career that people are able to you know spend money out of pocket and come see me on a regular basis and I don't have to deal with insurance and <laughs> all that stuff so I felt like it was also a way for me to give back a little bit I feel like there's a there's a lot of resource here you know, I think probably half my listeners are in health professions. A half of them are just kind of trying to, you know, learn a little bit more for themselves. And uh, I, yeah, I, I felt like it was it was just the, the the timing was right. Being a musician, I knew audio. You know that that, that helped. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so just a just a few little things. I I I make the music for the podcast too, just to keep it a little little more fun. <laughs> now, there is the, is the background behind you is 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 that actually a a, a a screen it's it's actually a real wall okay so it's a real wall is it is it one of those sound things you sound guys have to have it it it, it doesn't have to <laughs> i just wanted to have something to look decent if you saw the rest of the room you'd realize it's i'm, I'm well, sitting, it, it sitting looks, in a tiny closet it looks great <laughs> it actually looks really good i just thought, thought maybe you got to a little anal on your sound stuff and put, the, put yeah. the, you know the I insulated mean, it, it, walls it helps you know I, I like to try to i like to try to do what i can for the environments and the sound you know i i was taking these podcasts in new york too you know so i had a, i had a couple of little sound panels that i that i traveled around with um but no for the most part it's actually just about good mics and yeah. um, you know the, the the rest of it, I just kind of I, I feel like the conversation is the important part. The trying right. to trying to get as much out of a out of a person, you know, really really kind of get into their background. I also think people like you didn't maybe you don't don't get quite enough recognition for all the all the hard work that you're you've been doing over the years. You know, I mean, I, I think you've you've gotten some for sure. I mean, I, I know my wife doesn't give any recognition. <laughs> <laughs> That's one thing I do know. Yeah. But, but you know, even just doing the podcast, I know I know how much work it takes to sort of put these things together. You know, I, I, I and and the fact that I was able to be influenced by you felt like you know for for me to be able to reach out and 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 have a conversation at this point in my career felt felt like kind of a special thing to do. So well, it's an honor for me too. All I right. appreciate you asking me, man. Oh, thanks. And and if there's if there's some excuse for us to get together and uh, do a Absolutely. retreat or do some talking, let's let's do it at some point. Absolutely. Really like to do that. All right, sounds good. Well, have, everybody. A, have, have a great weekend. Okay, thanks for asking me. Uh, oh, absolutely. Eric Dalton, folks. What a treat that was. It's not often that I get to speak with someone who's shared such a long career in this unique and wonderful world of manual therapy. And it's clear that we both feel a similar gratitude for what this work has given to our lives. 
It's one of the first episodes in over four years of doing this show that I've really gotten to share more technical details of my work experience with you all. And I've had some listeners ask recently what I do, so hopefully this helps. If you'd like to learn more about Eric's work and educational products, teachings, and workshops that he offers, uh, you can check out ericdalton.com. That's Eric with a K. Or you can head over to his YouTube channel. He's got about 200 or so videos there to dig into as well. And speaking of YouTube, if you'd like to watch Eric and I have this conversation, see our faces, you can uh, go to my channel. It's Jeremy Quinby uh, or Highway 2 Health. And uh, I'm just going to be starting to post uh, these conversations uh, with the help of Zoom and my editor extraordinaire, Casey, over at Talltree. Let me know what you thought of this topic and conversation. If you're in a bodywork field or have any questions, feel free to reach out to me as well. That's jeremy at highway2.health. And don't forget to subscribe and make sure that you know when the next episode drops. And I'll be starting a monthly newsletter in January of 2021. So if you'd like to be included, you can email me or drop a note on the contact page at highway2.health. Thanks for listening and for all that you do. Be good to yourself, be kind to each other, and take care of your planet. Be well, my friends.